I'd like to welcome you to the 2009 R2 Convention, Recovery, Sunlight of the Spirit. My name is Cheryl, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your convention chair. Before we begin the festivities, as a courtesy to others, please make sure your cell phones are either off or set to silent. Okay? And with those of you who wish to, join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind Marilyn, our dicker, is Marilyn here? I hope so. Well, okay, let's see. Jane is going to read, uh, she's on the fundraising committee. She's now going to read the OA preamble. I hope you don't mind. I'm Jane, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Thank you. I was just told I was too close to the mic. Okay. <laughs> and now Ali, our hotel liaison, will read our invitation to you from the Overeaters Anonymous Brown Book. My name is Ali, and you are a compulsive overreader. <laughs> and I am a compulsive overreader. Our invitation to you. We of Overeaters Anonymous have made a discovery. At the very first meeting we attended, we learned that we were in the clutches of a dangerous illness, and that willpower, emotional health, and self-confidence, which some of us had once possessed, were no defense against it. To be sure, the picture painted of the disease was grim. Progressive, debilitating, incurable. Compulsive overeating has many symptoms in addition to mere fat. It is also an illness which isolates and gradually or rapidly causes increasingly serious problems in one or more areas of our lives. Health, job, finances, family, or social life. 
No one is sure what causes it. Probably a number of factors. Environment, a certain way of reacting to life, biological predisposition. We have learned that the reasons are unimportant. What deserves the attention of the still-suffering compulsive overreader is this. There is a proven, workable method by which we can arrest our illness. The OA recovery program is identical with that of Alcoholics Anonymous. We use AA's, AA's 12 steps and 12 traditions, changing only the words alcohol and alcoholic to food and compulsive overeater. As the personal stories in this book attest, the 12-step program of recovery works as well for compulsive overeaters as it does for alcoholics. Our rapidly increasing numbers prove that compulsive overeaters can share their problems with each other thus benefiting not only themselves, but their families and the communities in which they live. Can we guarantee you this recovery? The answer is simple. If you will honestly face the truth about yourself and the illness, if you will keep coming back to meetings to talk and listen to other recovering compulsive readers, if you will read our literature and that of Alcoholics Anonymous with an open mind, and, most important, if you're willing to rely on a power greater than yourself for direction in your life and to take the 12 steps to the best of your ability, we believe you can indeed join the ranks of those who recover. The disease of compulsive overeating causes or contributes to illness on three levels, emotional, physical, and spiritual. To remedy this threefold illness, we offer several suggestions, but the reader should keep in mind that the basis of the program is spiritual as evidenced by the 12 steps. We are not a diet and calories club. We do not endorse any particular plan of eating. We practice abstinence by staying away from all eating between planned meals and from all individual binge foods. Once we become abstinent, the preoccupation with food diminishes and in many cases leaves us entirely. We then find that to deal with our inner turmoil, we have to have a new way of thinking, of acting on life rather than reacting to it. In essence, a new way of living. From this vantage point, we begin the 12-step program of recovery, moving beyond the food and the emotional habit to a fuller living experience. We believe that no amount of willpower or self-determination could have saved us Times without number, our resolutions and plans were shattered as we saw our individual resources fail. So we honestly admitted to ourselves that we were powerless over food. This was the first step towards recovery. It followed that if we had no power of our own, we needed a power outside of ourselves to help us recover. Some of us, including agnostics and atheists, regard the group itself as a power greater than ourselves. Others choose to accept different interpretation of this power, but most of us adopt the concept of God as God may be understood by each individual. As a result of practicing the steps, the symptom of compulsive overeating is removed on a daily basis. Thus, for most of us, abstinence means freedom from the bondage of compulsive overeating achieved through the process of surrendering to something greater than ourselves. The more total our surrender, the more fully realized our freedom from food obsession. Here are the steps as adapted for Overeaters Anonymous.
over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Okay, got it? Okay. Okay. It is now my pleasure to introduce our Region 2 Chair, Pamela, who will officially open our convention and will introduce the board. Hi, my name is Pamela, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Pamela. Oh, wow, you all look really great. I guess we're here to get some recovery. Sunlight of the spirit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I know we're here to get recovery, to go to panels, to do fellowship. But I just have to mention, don't forget that little thing across the street, the boutique. Check this out. Coco Chanel Boutique, 2006 convention. Go check out the boutique. Maybe you'll find something you really like. I already bought a jacket. Everything I'm going to be wearing this weekend is going to be from the boutique. So FYI, check it out. Okay, I'm actually supposed to introduce the wonderful board members who have helped make all of this possible. Will you stand up, please, Region 2 board members, and wave your hand as I call out your name. Come on, come on, let's go. My vice chair is Shari. Next to her, oh, way back there is my secretary, Carol, our treasurer, Wanda, publications, Mary, and the one that really worked hard to make this and every convention happen is Hannah, our event coordinator. Before I officially open the convention, I just want to mention to you that 
by being here, you're giving yourself a gift that is priceless. You're giving yourself some recovery. And let me remind you that this is also a way that allows Region 2 to carry the message. Some of the things that Region 2 has done, it's got this display board, which the lights aren't we didn't get the light part figured out yet. But anyway, here the display board is available to each and every one of you and each and every one of your intergroups. If you have an event, you can use this display board. We are going to try to make sure that every single intergroup in Region 2 has a website, and we're going to underwrite the expense of making it and maintaining it for those people that can. So if you... So if you haven't signed up for the dinner, if you haven't signed up for the breakfast, if you haven't signed up to stay at the hotel, every one of those dollars would help Region to continue to do this priceless work that helps the still suffering compulsive overeater. And now I declare that the 2009 Recovery Sunlight of the Spirit officially open. Now it is my pleasure to introduce, am I too close? Oh, hey. Uh, to introduce, I probably don't need this, but to introduce the committee that worked on the 2009 convention. I am your chair. You've already met me. I would like to introduce, and as I call your name, you can stand. And the first person I'd like to introduce is Maria G. She's our, tra our secretary. Our treasurer was Annette L. Hotel liaison was Ollie R. Entertainment, Jill B. She's out, she's out entertaining. Uh, okay, event security, Stan. Yes. Fundraising, Gretchen K. And Jane, and Jane Kay. New to you, Marilyn B. and D.W. Hospitality, Maureen M. and Robin C. Literature, Evelyn B. Program, Violet P. Public Information, Vicki S. Registration, Ida S. Signs, Robert L. Decorations, Marion L. Uh, and Ida actually did t-shirts too. Volunteers, Bernice A. Newcomer and Young People, Tara R. And I believe that we don't, our hands not here. Okay. All right. Give him another hand. They did a great job. Okay. And some of you have traveled great distances to be with us tonight. If you traveled more than 150 miles away, please stand. Wow.
Welcome. Now, you might you may sit down. If you are from out of state, please stand. Could you give us our name, your name, and where you are from? The ones from out of state. from out of the country? Well, I, there, there, we do have someone from Israel registered here. Uh, I was hoping that she was... I thought somebody said Israel. Egypt. Well, excuse me. There. Could you stand again? And, and give us your name. Ruth. Welcome. Okay, I have a few announcements, and then we'll get on with the program. Okay. The workshops on Saturday and end at 5. It's a discrepancy in the program, so if the program says it ends at a different time, it ends at 5. Meal tickets are available at the registration table. We still have meal tickets available. Saturday, the hotel will be hosting a salad bar in the Citrus West restaurant. It's $13.95 plus tax. If you brought a camera to take pictures with, you may take pictures of those that give you permission, but none of the meetings are to be photographed. Uh, we already said the phones. Okay. Be sure to visit Allstate Tapes to get recordings of the main speakers and workshops. If you're registered here at the hotel, make sure that the hotel knows that you're part of this convention so we get credit for your stay. We won't read that. Okay, and I just wanted to announce that the winner of our convention package drawing was Pauline Romero. And the registration only was Georgian Gagney from up north. Okay, let me see. What else? I will now get off this podium and turn the, pro, the rest of the, some of the rest of the meeting, over to our program chair, Violet. <laughs> okay, I'm Violet, compulsive reader. I'll, I'll stand there for the next thing. No. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't work either. Um, okay. I'm going to do the countdown. It is said that the newcomer is the lifeblood of the program. Is there a newcomer here who is attending his very, his or her very first OA meeting today, June 26th? Anybody? Stand up. Okay, 
that really works. Part of that design and our primary purpose is abstinence from compulsive overeating, bulimia, or undereating, each person being the sole judge of his or her own abstinence. If you have 30 or more years of continuous abstinence, please stand and remain standing. Please sit down. 
31, 32, 33, 34, 35. Okay, in the back. Okay, again, your name, please. Jerry, 37 years. Okay. Oh, my last five and six. Sorry, you're shorter. <laughs> I just didn't wear your hand. Okay, so in your name? In how many years? Hi, Ma. 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 Hi, This morning I went to a meeting with a girl who she came in in 1968 and she didn't want to come and I'm so glad I did. (laughs) We have copies of the big book in the OA 12 and 12 for the newcomers and would like the old long timer to present them. Okay, and there were two. We have. Okay, do you want to come up and and we will present one set of books, but I'll duplicate them for tomorrow for the other. Do you want to come up and get your book? Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's what they said to me. I felt so comfortable because I was a compulsive overeater. introduction of our speaker. One of the advantages of being a long-timer in program, I don't like to use old-timer, <laughs> so I do long-timer, um, is that you get to see people when they first come in and you get to watch them recover. And our speaker tonight is somebody I saw come in when, you know, and I've heard him speak through the years, and I really admire his recovery and his program. And he also does a lot of service above the meeting level, which I also admire because what you don't realize, even this convention, we've been planning this for a year and a half, and it takes a lot of dedication to do service above the meeting level. And our speaker tonight has done that also. And he's, uh, I admire his recovery and his humor. And the speaker tonight is John. Thank you, Vital. Thank you for asking me. Hi, I'm John, I'm a compulsive eater. Hello to everybody. Hello to the newcomers. You know, having to come up on stage in front of all these people on your first time, it's, it's going to be easier from here. You just know that. Um, I say hello to everybody. Mahalo. Assalamu alaikum. Shalom alaikum. Everybody. Um, for you newcomers, if you haven't noticed it already, it's on page 132 in our big book. We are not a glum lot. We absolutely insist upon enjoying life. And on the next page, he says, we will be happy, joyous, and free. And if you're not, that, that, that needs to be worked on because that's what it's all about here. It's about 
doing this and being happy and finding the freedom. You know, um, just to give you a quick background, I have been coming to this program for 27 and a half plus years. I'm also 27 and a half years in another recovery program. I um, have been uh, sober that amount of time in that program. I have uh, I have about 14 years of continuous abstinence, and that difference of those two numbers I'll explain in a minute. And I've been maintaining about 105 pound weight loss for all of the, just about all of that time. It's so funny, when I hear people applaud for weight loss, it's, it's like I love to applaud the thing when they say, and I've been keeping it off for 10 years. Because I've, I don't know about you guys, but I've lost 100 pounds more than once, and uh, I know how to do it. I'm re- I was really good at it. Um, uh, I always joke, I said, you know, I, in some ways I, I owe you guys an apology because you really should have heard me five years ago because I, I had all the answers then. I really did. I, uh, the longer you're around, the more you work things, the more gray everything seems to get. In other words, you begin to realize, you begin to see things that in different ways, and you see more of the nuance, and you realize there's more to this than, than is, is, uh, is there. I'm not going to grace you all with a huge food log tonight. Uh, you know, when I go to my different programs, I hear people being drunk logs and food logs. I'm like, well, I know how to do this, and I'm sure you guys know how to eat, and I'm sure you know how to go and, and do the things and go to 7-Eleven and go to 10 7 eleven so nobody knows that you're going to the same one. And I, I'm sure you guys know how to eat the frozen cake that's not supposed to be fro- uh, eaten frozen before it's done, and you know how to, how to sneak all the stuff under the car, and you know how to do all those things, because I did every one of them and some. I have one, I'll tell one little story, which is one of the few unique eating stories I have. I'm about the only person I know who, um, who, uh, sent himself candy grams. Uh, <laughs> let me explain, this is not as crazy as it sounds. You gotta understand, I grew up in New York, and, um, I grew up at a time before, uh, before the, everybody had credit cards and 800 numbers you could call and delivery things. Well, um, I was a little lashkey kid, and I was a little fast compulsive eating kid, and I, um, I heard one day uh, a commercial on New York Telephone. You can charge candy grams to your home phone number, and all you got to do is call up and give me. I hear oh, this is great, you know. As I call up, and, and of course you can't just say send me the candy. You got to say uh, you got to give a gram if you go with the candy. So uh, uh, best wishes on your your new project. Uh, and, and and sure enough, like the next day, I knock on the door and hand you a box of candy. I was like, this is great, you know. And of course, my father, you know, gets the bill. And what the hell is this candy gram? Uh, gee, Dad, I. I don't have a clue, and uh, and uh, and so then you know he he calls up the New York telephone company and yells at them and gets them to take off the bill. And the next month there's five of them on the bill, and, uh, and he starts like, okay, let's see, little fat kid, candy grand. Yeah. And I love to tell the story because it always gets a big laugh. But I always like to just remind everybody that there's really no difference between that and the kid who just broke into your car to steal your radio because he needed to buy crack. I was an addict. I was willing to do whatever it took. And I stole. I stole from my parents. I stole from my parents. You know, I, I was raised by two alcoholics. And there's one good thing about alcoholics. They come home drunk and don't remember how much money they got in their wallet. And uh, when you're a little fat kid, that comes in very handy. I, I always say that, you know, I grew up as a fat kid. And, and our, the first male member of, of OA was a guy named A.G. who passed away a couple of years ago. And he used to always say, there's no hell on earth like being a fat kid. Because I've been a fat kid, I've been a fat adult, trust me, being a fat adult is better. It's still Snickers, it's still lots of things, but kids are brutal, and, and, and it was really hard. And, uh, uh, but I needed it. Food got me through. Thank God for food. It kept me alive. You know, There's a guy in AA named Clancy who says, thank God for alcohol because it got the people here. We can't sober up a corpse. We can't get a dead person asking. And, and I, was, I was able to make it through my, my childhood. Um, 
I'm, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna rush past a lot of that. I I, I was always fat. I, I always joke. I said I got into food at an early age because they hadn't invented crack yet. I mean, it was like, um, but it it, it calmed. It was in a, in a in a childhood that was really not too cool. Uh, it, it was my only little survival mechanism. It kept me going and kept it kept uh, it kept me sane enough to, to make it. And I went all through high school and didn't have a girlfriend. Was a little geek kid. The other thing was I was born with a I was a gifted child with this. It was very smart. And the trouble with that is it's also another way to be pushed away from your peers because when you're a little fat kid, you feel like shit about how you keep you look. You want to grasp every little thread of self-esteem you can. So I had my brain, but then that meant I had to tell you just how smart I was all the time. And the trouble with that is that just pushes away you know, the kids even more. And, you know, I came into this, my first close-step program feeling like it was the whole planet and me. And they were two separate distinct entities. Um, I, I didn't drink all the way during high school, even though I went to a very party high school, uh, because I knew. You know, one thing about being a smart kid is you read books about alcoholism, you know your parents are alcoholics, you better not drink. Well... The only trouble was I was a you know a teenage boy and liked girls and was absolutely petrified and felt like uh, you know I had nothing there and all of a sudden I found this liquid that made me feel like you know James Bond you know and, and trust me this you know, I'll talk more about it but it took a long time you know the weight comes out off the body long before it comes out of your brain and um, but I found alcohol and was immediately zero to sixty with alcohol I, I only have to talk about AA because it's where I came to my first program and I. I I, when I pass around pictures, and I didn't bring them today, I pass around pictures of myself, and I also pass around pictures of two of my sponsees, a guy named Jim B. from, from Connecticut, and a guy named Dan C. who was from L.A., and I, they were both sponsors of mine, sponsees of mine, and they're both dead. They're both dead of this disease, a direct cause of this disease. You know, um, when, when I have, you know, one of the things about being in the other program is people will goof on you for being in OA, you know. I hit a guy with this, oh, you go in an AA meeting, going, oh, you're going off to the OA meeting, huh? And I'm like, you're a crack addict. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, just to put in perspective how unglamorous this disease is, crack addicts make fun of us. Okay? <laughs> just to get it into some idea, uh, you know, of what it's like. But then when they kid me, I remind them. I've buried two sponsees in my food program. I haven't buried it in my alcohol program. So... Uh, and, and that's, to me, you know, everybody comes in these doors for different things. And some people, this may be your first shot on the way to try and fix other things. Uh, for me, this is, I'm in the disease, I'm in the, the program with the body count, you know. I'm talking about two sponsees. I can name dozens and dozens of people I know or knew that are no longer on this earth as a direct result of this disease, who I knew from program, who had been in program, who relapsed. Anorexic girls who dropped dead of heart attacks in their 20s because they weren't eating enough and their body ate itself to the point where the heart arrhythmia took over. Um, and so I just, I'd like to mention it once in a while that this is a really hard disease. And I thank God I had it because this guy, Jim, who I'm talking about, he and I talked one day and I said, because we were, we were doppelgangers. He had the same brain. He's really sharp. He was really fast. He would have, and for everything I would say to him as a sponsor, he'd have some smart phallic comeback, just like I did with my sponsors and uh, sponsors. Um, and I said, Jim, the only difference, he was 500 and something pounds. We would have to go weigh him at the dump in his truck, and then he would get out of the truck, and then we would weigh and get the difference. And that's how we knew what Jim weighed. And Jim died in a fire, okay? When we think of how we were going to die of this disease sometimes, and we ran it through our heads, I had, okay, well, I'll die of a heart attack, I'll have a stroke, this will happen. Jim was too big to get out of a fire. And, again, I, I like to mention this because it's a legacy. You know, there but for the grace of God go I. 
And um, I said to him, the only difference between you and me, Jim, because we have the same brain, is I had alcohol first. And it would, if I needed, I was too smart for this disease. I would never have gotten it. I would have been, Jim. But if there's one good thing to be said about alcohol and drugs, it grabs you by the back of the head and slams you face down into the pavement and then picks your bloody face up and says, okay, get it. The trouble with this disease and what makes it to me, and, and you know, we all get up and we want to give great pitches and we want to be positive, but every once in a while, I don't think it hurts to acknowledge something. This is hard. It's not hard daily. It's not hard all the time. It wouldn't, if it was hard all the time, you wouldn't have these people getting up with 30, 35, 41 years. But it is in the beginning. And, and, and to say it and acknowledge it is not a bad thing, but to say it will get better. It will get better, you know. I can promise you that. We wouldn't, we're not masochists. None of us are here, you know, doing this if it was as hard as it was in the beginning. But I know at one point I was slipping and sliding, and it was hard all the time because I was doing the hardest part over and over. It's like if you start to push a car that you've got to get going, it's really hard to start pushing that car, but after a while it'll start getting a little momentum. But I can keep starting to push the car and then let it stop, and then push it and let it stop, and I would do that over and over. Um, but I came into OA, and I fell in love with OA as soon as I, because you know what happens, you come into one false step program, and you hear about another, and you hear about another, and this old joke, if you're not in three programs, you'd be in denial somewhere, and um, I'm in three programs, so I guess, uh, you know, more to be revealed, too, probably. Um, but the one thing that happened to me in the first program that I have to talk about is I came in as a rabid atheist. You all were a bunch of God nuts, and I want nothing to do with anybody who mentions that G-O-D word because I was a rabid atheist. I was born of a very dogmatic religion, and, 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 and actually, it was my mother sent me, would send me and my brother to Sunday school. Wouldn't go with us, but you've got to go. Well, you know, this was a setup for any religion, I don't care what, but still, God was this mean, nasty, punitive, male, all these things, and I didn't want anything to do with that. When I came to my first, my first program, you know, they had the steps and the traditions up on a wall, and, and the guy tried to tell me, my first sponsor, look, this is, this is a spiritual program, it's not a religious program. And I'm like, no, no, she's right there, it says God, it says God there, it says God there, it says God there. The guy said the most brilliant thing he could have ever said to me. He looked at it and he went, okay, leave it out. <laughs> and it's like one of those, those science fiction things where you put the robot into like a loop and they just like, like stare blankly at you. Because <laughs> that was just way too simple for my complex brain to try and fathom. And I said, what? He goes, leave it out. Right now, your disease is looking for any reason to head out that door and not come back. What could be better than to think there's this group that's going to try and get you into some kind of religious God thing? So leave it out. Nobody's ever going to make you believe anything. Nobody's ever ever say you have to believe anything. Don't worry. You can go through your dying day as an atheist in this program if that's what you want to do. You may open yourself up, but you don't have to. And it was the most brilliant thing he could have said to me because I was so paranoid and so suspicious of everybody that, I mean, I've heard, I've heard old-timers say to newcomers, oh, just keep coming, you'll get it. And if they had said that to me, I'd have oh my God, the cult is going to get me. <laughs> and I would have run out the door just as fast because that would have been just as, as threatening to me. But the fact that he said, I don't have to believe anything. And then the concept of a God of my own understanding? I needed that desperately. you got to understand, I come from two lines of Irish, mean Irish alcoholics, okay? Back to the old country, okay? The idea of a male god just doesn't work for me, you know? I just, it, it's, I'm sorry, it, it's just something. And the fact that I was able to start to, to open my brain about that was so important, you know? The other thing that he told me is the only thing I understand about God, kid, and I was a kid at that time, and I'm right here. He says, the only thing I understand about God is you ain't it, you know? And... 
you know, it wasn't like psychotically I thought I was God, but I took so much responsibility for things I didn't have to, you know. If there was a cord across the, the thing and somebody tripped on it on the way, I should have I done something about it. I should have done this. It, what a relief to not have to be God anymore, you know. I mean, what a relief to know I have sponsors, I try to help them, and if they get it, it ain't my, you know, it ain't me, and if they don't, it ain't me either. I just have to take care of myself, you know. I think if you take all the stuff we learn in, these, these, in the big book, in the 12, but you boil it down to three sentences, it's the serenity prayer. You know, it really is. For those of you who cook, and I'm a cook because I'm an eater, we reduce, we reduce it down. It's accepting the thing you cannot change. Have the courage to change things down, which is actually a lot harder than the first one. And the wisdom to know the difference, you know. An old sponsor used to, used to grab the skin on the side of his hand and say, see this kid? There it is right there. There's your difference. Everything from the skin in, stuff you can change. Everything from the skin out, stuff you can't change. <laughs> and it was a, it really is true, you know. I'm not going to change the fact that when I move to L.A., everybody drives 30 miles an hour in the left lane. <laughs> if I want to get mad about it, that's me, you know. In other words, I'm not going to change that, and I'm not going to change any of those things. It's all about how I will react, and that's what the program started teaching me. So I came in, I'm 26 years old, I got a male, I got the metabolism of a hummingbird, you know, because, you know, at that age for men, I mean, I'd kill right now, trust me, I would kill for that metabolism now. Um, lose the weight like this, instant, you know, weight loss, I can't understand why everybody's having all these problems. And I did the one thing in my life that I had never done. I have been every possible aspect of this disease. I've been, I've been uh, an overeater, I've been a bulimic at times, I've been, a, I've been an exercise bulimic, but for one time in my life, I became an anorexic because I'll tell you what's about when you're fat all your life and you have this idea of gold weight. You know, it's almost like you can hear angels sing and say, gold weight! You know, and it's like, you know. And I had all these ideas of what that was going to be. And when I get to that number, and well, I got to that number and you know what happened? I got to that number. That's it. Nothing changed. Women were not grabbing at my ankles as I walked down the street. You know, I wasn't walking up and being James. I don't know, how are you, you know? Because I didn't like myself at 100 pounds more than I was, and there was no number on the scale that was going to make me like myself more at that number. And so what I did, in this crazy, convoluted, sick brain that I still had, well, that must not be the right number. I still lost another five pounds. That's it. And I lost another five pounds, and I still had no confidence. And I, you know, because all I had gotten was the food part. I had gotten the diet. You know, and I had it for a while, and then I, I, I had started doing stand-up comedy. If some of you know, I used to be a comic. And, and all of a sudden, I was, had a day job, and then I had a night job, and I hadn't had time for meetings. And this, this program, this disease is so cunning, it just waited. You know, it waited the better part of a year. I was rock steady acid for a year without going to meetings, and it just says, okay, yeah, i got all the time in the world. And sure enough, I, I eventually broke my absence, and then I started slipping and sliding, and that went on for quite a while. And, and I came out, I was married at the time, we came out, moved out here, I still was, I, still, I, I would get absent, I would lose it, I would get it, I would lose it. And I'd be up, you know, and here's the thing, I, was, I remember I was, I was, I was the secretary, I already snapped this meeting, and, and I, I'm a secretary's meeting, I'm a delegate, I'm a sponsor, I, am, I have sponsor, I'm doing all this stuff, and then I'm leaving the meeting that I'm running and shopping the donut shop on the way home. And I'm, and I'm leaving this room, I'm going, why am I doing this? I'm not, I'm not sentenced to OA, you know, and hey, you actually can get sentenced to have to go to meetings. If I don't want to do this, I'm going to have to do this. But I couldn't get the, the insanity of this disease. And the other thing is, I spent years saying I'm powerless. I'm powerless, yes, I'm powerless, 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 and then I eat. And then I'm powerless, no, I'm powerless, I really am powerless, and then I go eat again. And I'm powerless, and I eat again, and I'm powerless, and I eat again. And I would get it, I'd get a month of absence, I'd lose it. I'd get a week of absence, I'd lose it. But I'm powerless, yes, I'm powerless. 
here's what I know today. I really get to my core, I am powerless over a bullet and a gun. You know how I know that? Because I've never thought about taking a, a gun, putting it to my head, and as I'm pulling the trigger, say, I'll start again on Monday. <laughs> right? That's powerless, right? But here's the trouble. I had such a hard trouble understanding because I'm being told I'm powerless, and yet I can see that I've gone through periods of getting absent and staying absent. It may mean I have to, you know, start all over. I have to get really strict with my food. I mean, do we need a new sponsor? Do whatever the new sponsor But one way or another, I could grind that train to a halt after it was really bad for a while. And I did that over and over and over. And how can I, a good-thinking human being who has the empirical proof that I have stopped and done it, convince himself he's powerless? Well, that was the problem. I couldn't believe it deep in here, even though I said it. What I didn't see is I needed to change my perspective. And on one of those times when I picked up for the 10 billionth time, I, I remember saying, why did I pick up again? And the little voice in the back of my head said, maybe you picked up 20 years ago when you broke your initial abstinence and you've been slipping and sliding ever since, or 15, whatever it was. And it was like, you know one of those things that pops in your head and you don't know where the heck it came from? It's probably God talking, and I just didn't, you know. And I, I started to understand. And I went to another program for a while that was very strict with the food because I really knew I needed to work on it. And a lot of stuff was revealed about that. And, um, and I started to change how I saw food. I, I realized I am powerful over food in the micro picture. But what I need to understand is I am powerless in the big picture. And what that ha- I mean, I had to change what I believed powerless meant for me. Powerless for me to, had to start meaning food can't be an option anymore to my emotional problems. And that was the thing I always, no matter how, you know, what I did, I would, I would, uh, you know, I was making food enough. When I first came in, for those of you remember a long time ago, you used to always hear, you know, we don't eat no matter what, we don't eat no matter what. And it was sort of a very gruff kind of hard-ass thing. Um, but I heard somebody put it in a much better way. They said, you know, if you're a compulsive eater and you've made food an option, it's always going to be the only option. It's always going to be the path of least resistance. Think about it. This is just, it's not rocket science. If you've got a choice of going through some really hard emotional pain or going and eat something you like, <laughs> And for me, I had to say it had to stop being an option. Because the trouble with it is it didn't do anything when it was done. It, you know, and the funny thing is, the longer I was in, in program, the less time I... You know, there was a time in which we all ate and it did, did something. Or we're not nuts. We don't get here because we just do something that didn't work. But it used to give a little go-away time, right? We didn't think it solved our problems, really, but we did. But as the longer I was in program, the less of that go-away time existed. In fact, like one of the last times I got into the food, I was eating before I'm eating. Well, why am I doing this, you know? And the answer was because it's all I knew how to do, you know. And I was, I was, I, I was in pain, and I, I was not wanting to deal with it. The trouble is that I was like a rat in a maze that was going down the wrong part of a maze and banging his head against the, down the wrong end of the maze, and then backing all the way out of the maze and going down the same damn path, you know. And then backing out and doing the same thing. And what I had to do is I realized I had to go through the pain of whatever I had to go through without the food, because then I would get on the other side of it. And then the next time wouldn't be that hard, and the time after that wouldn't be that hard. And, and that's what the, the program taught me. And the other thing is just how complex this disease is and how cunning it is. Because like with Jim, Jim was 500-something pounds. He, if I told him he was in you know, pathology and he was 200, he would have said, well, I'm not going to get to 500. But that's the thing about this disease. It's, it's, I was called the boil frog syndrome. I don't know if you guys are familiar with there's an axiom in science that you can take a frog, and if you bring a frog toward a pot of boiling water, it's a smart animal that knows it needs to get away and it'll start to thrash. But you can take that same frog and put it in a pot of room temperature water and slowly bring the temperature up, and that frog will never jump out. And that's the analogy of our disease. It slowly makes, as you go, 
you, your brain can stay ahead of it and you slowly begin to accept more and more what was previously unacceptable. You know, okay, well, if I ever get to 200, I'll do something about that. If, I ever get to 210, I'll change that. Okay, but, but you just keep doing it because you're, if you're smart, it's the worst thing in some ways because my brain can constantly keep moving those goalposts. I could keep looking in the mirror from here up and not notice I was getting big this way. And that's, to me, it's what makes this disease so hard is the idea you've got to change some of those things. You know, I, I had to start seeing that there was a lot more to this disease than just the actual eating of the food. There's like these tentacles that come off. Two of them, there's actually three main components of my disease besides the eating part. And one of, one of them is narcissism, okay? I was, a, I mean, it was all about me. That's what a lot of this disease, and this is what they teach you, get out of yourself, get out of that narcissism. And that for me was what a big part of this was. And another big part was immaturity, you know? But, you know, over in the other program, the alcoholic personality, they say, it's an immature personality. I want what I want what I want it, you know? I used to have a sponsor who, you know, we talk about, you know, it's the, it's the thing from more about alcoholism, and it's the great, uh, you know, desire of every compulsive eater to come and eat like a normal person. No, it isn't. We don't want to eat like a normal person. <laughs> You know what my normal people, my friends do? They'll go get, go get a little slice of something. They'll eat a piece of, oh, that's too rich. I don't want to eat like that. I want to eat the way, I want to eat and have no ramifications for it. And that's the immaturity of this disease. And the other part of this disease is perfection, you know. It's this perfection. If I cannot do this thing perfectly, it's good, you know. I eat a piece, you know. And, and that's the, I, the other part that's so hard about this disease is because some of the immaturity allows you to, to make excuses. I mean, I was the master. You know, I went to, I had, I went to two OAs at one point. I went to OA and then I was in that other food program for a while and then I came back to, to the OA I'm in now. The OA I first came into was my immature days of OA. You, you come in, you love, you love hearing people talk about the stuff you never heard anybody else talk about. And you love being able to pick up the phone and talk to your friends. And you love going out and fellowship and you love talking, going and talking about yourself all day. That's what I did for the first 10 years I was there. I come in and talk about me, me, me. Okay, now, now how about you? Let's see what you think about me, 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 me. <laughs> But I never, you know, and all my friends were doing this. We would all, we were all hit slick and cool, and we would make fun of those old timers with their big book, and they'd sit over there with the steps. <laughs> you know, well, I went out of the program for seven years, and I came back, and none of my hit slick friends were still around. And who was around? All those old timers with that damn big book and the steps, because they got the thing that I couldn't get until I was ready to hear it, that nothing changes if nothing changes. And the only thing that's going to change is me. And the only way that me is going to change is in from the big book, and I've got to start doing the actual work. The other part of that immaturity is I don't, I want what she, I want what, you know, what Lonnie's got, but I want to do any of the work Lonnie did. You know, I just want to, you know, I remember somebody said to me once, it's not like you really want to get abstinent, you want to have been abstinent for a while. <laughs> right? And, and it's true, I want the abstinence fairy hitting in the head, I want it to be easy, I want everything to be simple, I don't want to have to do any of the work. Well, there's a billion dollar industry out there trying to sell that to people in the world, you know? And what do they do? They just go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, you know? And the, the reality is that's part of my disease, the immature part that wants something for nothing, you know? And the reality is that the only way it comes is, is by, you know, doing all this stuff. And one of the things that's been really wonderful for the last couple of years is I, I've been, you know, the great thing about, I moved from Connecticut where if you had a year, you were an old timer. I mean, I played a marathon when I had like a year and I was crazier than a loon, you know? And, and you know, I go to these meetings like kitchen sink and you say, you know, how many people 10 years, 20, just like we did today, but the amount is just, it, it's, it's science fiction when you go from it, from the, you hear these people get up and talk, you know? And one of the things I got involved in a couple of years ago was I, I, we started this website where we started recording the speakers from this meeting and one of the things we tried to do is get all speakers with like 20 plus 15, 20, 25 years. And I went to OA University for the last two and a half, three years. And it was the greatest thing I ever did because 
you know, this thing they say, well, well, you know, there's many ways to work OA that there are people in program. Well, from zero to seven years, yeah. But you know what happens? You look at those people who've got 10, 15, 20 years, that road narrows quite a bit. And you've got to ask yourself, what's the difference? Well, those people stuck around. Maybe I should do what they did, not what those people here are seven who may or may not be around, <laughs> you know, did. And I started really listening to them, and they were talking about the steps. When you hear those, and they're up on the uh, website, the LA website. I'll be around all weekend if anybody wants to know any more about it. You can hear them, and you hear the recovery, and you hear about the serenity. And, uh, you know, I've gone to a couple of really good workshops with this guy Harlan who comes in once in a while, and he's got one of my favorite lines. He said, you know, no matter how much I work this big book, and I learn it, and memorize it, and do all this work, I'm never going to rise above the level of human being. And it was a part of me that kept thinking, someday I'm going to get to that perfect place. And when I wasn't, I would damn myself, and I would hit myself. You know, now I get it. I get I want to be the best person I can be, and I really want... And I didn't have it. Because I had two immature parents who had no way to give me what they couldn't give. They didn't have themselves. And a mature, loving father would say to a son, you really want to try and do the best you can, but guess what? We're all humans. We're going to fall. And you just pick yourself up and try and learn and try not to do it again. And that's just all... And that, that started to change. The thing that really changed me in the last couple of years was getting that. I always wanted perfection, and I and and when I could, you know, I would. There was a part of me that's, you know, I'm not perfect, so I'm no, I'm no good, you know. Because I got raised. I was the last kid. I raised myself. You know, we don't let ten year olds raise other kids because you're not mature enough. Well, I did. I raised myself, and I, as a ten year old, I had I had. There's perfection and there's shit, and if I'm not perfect, I'm shit. And now it, I get it, you know. There's a great line, you know, we all have heard the page, page 449, 417, depending on which edition you're in, uh, uh, that, you know, you know, the acceptance prayer. Read the paragraph after sometimes, because it talks about how, you know, there's a, there's a bit of good in the, bad, in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the, in the best of us. We're all God's children. We all have a right to be here. When I judge you or me, I'm saying I know better than God. And I heard that for years, and I would quote that to people about judging you. But I missed the part that says, when I, when I judge me or you, I am saying something. And when I'm judging myself, I, I'm, I'm saying I know better than God. And today I realize I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And there's times I wish I was better. I joke with my wife, she got John 3.0. My poor first wife, she got John 1.0. And there was a woman in between who got John 2.0. And I'm John 3.0. And trust me, my wife and I are working on John 4.0. It's in beta. It's in beta right now. And... Uh, <laughs> I just want to put in a quick plug, since I have a chance, that if you're a man and you're around here, we have a great men's retreat coming up in August. It's one of the largest, oldest men's retreats in the country, and I'll be handing out flyers. Again, I want to thank everybody. I want to thank, I want to thank Bill and Dr. Bob and the God who played chess with them for putting this the way it did, for Roseanne, for helping start, for Jim, who started GA, Roseanne, who then took OA, and for all the people who kept it going over the years, that the con that keeps going because it's made it's one to another to another to help me get there and be a much happier, greater person, you know. And one of the greatest lines, and I'll end on this, is, is it's to me one of the deepest, pithiest lines of all time in the movies is from that very profound movie, the Muppet movie. Um, <laughs> and it says, life is a movie, write your own ending. And hopefully you're all here and you'll all write your own ending starting today. Thank you.
In her book, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, A History of Overeaters Anonymous, as seen by our co-founder, Roseanne S., wrote that the work of organizing OA began in 1958, and so tonight we are pleased to present a play written and produced by the members of the Inland Empire Intergroup, set in the 1950s, and here to introduce the play are Amy and Rand. call me Angelina. <laughs> do you suppose this scenery has anything to do with what's going on here tonight? Billy Bob. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Angelina. Um, yes, I do. The play is set in a 1950s cafe, and it's about a group of people that are going to a restaurant after an OA meeting. Um, Angie? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's nice, Brad, but um, sometimes those after-meetings meetings are even better than the meeting itself. You know, less whining, complaining, all about me, and, and there is food, and, and to be honest, I'm really here tonight, not for the food, but to see if I can find some babies to do it down. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have any babies, Billy Bob? that help the audience to understand the performance. The chorus represents, on stage, the general population in any particular story. Sometimes they express, is somebody messing with my spotlight? <laughs> Sometimes they express the secret hopes and fears of the main characters. The chorus often provides insight into the theme of the play. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and I'm so sorry for stepping on your line. But and Miss Codependent Do-Gooder, that is what a great chorus is. Didn't we see this recently in Broadway? <laughs> I don't think so, Johnny. But uh, aren't you in this place? You can walk back. Uh, no, I just go to the OA Cafe um, so I can talk to Maggie. She's a friend of mine, the waitress. Maggie, really, really, Earl. 
whatever your name is, uh, supposed to be, I'd like to ask her to go out for a girl's night out. Oh, how cute. A girl's night out. How am I going to explain this to the kids, Brad? But I'm sure she's a wonderful dancer. You'd better get going. It looks like some of those OARs are starting their play. Kind of looks that way. We could have the house lights up. I could deliver my last line. <laughs> and music would start. And it would all come together all at once. And it would be perfect if I were in charge. It is my pleasure to bring to you wine and cheese at the OA Cafe. Live from Ontario, it's Friday night. You know, when I first saw... Ladies and gentlemen, please. can I get you something oh. to eat? Yes, something? please. I would like... Something to drink. Well, can I talk about how I like to weigh and drink, measure? Huh? We want to hear about intuitive ways. Intuitive ways. Let go and let go on. I want something cold because cold things burn up more calories than hot things. You have to... My husband, who was an acupuncturist, said that cold things are um, stressful on the esophageal tract. Better to drink them room temperature. Am I right? Esophageal tract? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more important that you put a lemon in everything you drink. Because a, twist lemon, a, twist a twist of lemon. A twist of lemon. I'm waiting, people. A twist of lemon to drink. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's non-fattening. Non-fattening. No we, calories. We only have wedges. We don't have any twins. But they want a twist of lemon in their water. Oh, wedge. Honey, you're just going to have to wait, okay? Okay. Um, hot tea. Hot tea. I want hot tea. What flavors do you have? Are you sure you want hot tea? Hot. Well, I not too hot. I want hot tea, too. <laughs> a different kind of hot tea. No, no. No, no. Okay, the flavors we have are lifted. Do you have caramel meal? Lifted. 
Can I have honey in it? Yes. Yeah. And you want some of the lemon, lemon squares? Acupuncture theory, everything in the universe is related. The Euro what? <laughs> sister, why do you constantly bring sex into everything? You have to tell them to start up sister. Sister. That's what I mean. Yeah, I said they're sister or organs. Sisters are not funny. My sister always stuck her nose in my business. Well, let me tell you about it. I called her pickle nose. My
come out and play with us on Saturday night. Don't forget the dance. Oh, you're going to be responsible for I, my next binge. I did. Wait a minute. Dance it off. Dance off your binge. Dance it a cabaret. And darling, we're in the middle of ordering here. We're in the 50s. We're in the 50s. Thank you. in the chicken marsala? A breath. <laughs> How many ounces is that? It's one breath. Is it a large breath? It's a huge breath. Don't give up until the miracle happens. You should you should have her weigh the chicken. Hey, just sit in. I got a scale with me. And you bring that scale everywhere. I just love it. I just love it. Look at her scale. Oh, God bless you. That is beautiful. This Oh, you bet I bring my scale. Oh, I pray to thee, oh great God of weighings and scales. I took that to Sizzler and weighed in the wedge herself. I'm not taking a scale into the kitchen. Oh, please. Just bring it out here. Right here. Right away. Right here. And we're going to weigh the chicken after it's cooked. Oh, yes. Give it a stick. Give it Ouch. You're not getting your milkshake. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Finally, you get it. Alright. Can we can I go back to my potatoes please? Oh, that's sugar too. Keep it simple. Simple. I will have just celery, please. Are you gonna weigh that too? You betcha when I see the weigh station on the side of the highway I pull over and weigh myself. Why wouldn't I weigh the celery? We only have six. Well, six. stick it to me, honey. How many do I get? Oh, Alright, bring it on. You know, there are no calories in celery. But there is a lot of sodium. And uh, according to Chinese acupuncture theory, God bless him. According to Chinese acupuncture theory, um, sodium makes your brain swell. <laughs> My doctor says I need more sodium. He told me to stop drinking water and it's worth it. Well, how can I argue with such? My sponsor tells me that I will reach my goal weight six months after I die. I hope my strawberry milkshake. My sponsor tells me two births flew by. They were needed. Today would be a good day to order. Um, let's see. What I'd like first is a Coke, a cherry Coke. Does that have sugar in it? No, you lose oh. weight on this. Don't you they have diet. They have diet cherry Coke now. Now they do? And I can lose weight on drink that too? Yay! We have tab. Tab. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tab. T-A-B. Tab. Okay, I'll have a tab. We're all out. <laughs> <laughs> you're, Jean, you're better off. There is sodium in tab. They have to have sodium. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I forgot. Are you going to actually I, eat? You, you can't have the gift of abstinence until you're ready to receive it. Oh, yes, thank you. I'll have a cheeseburger, extra lettuce, and let's see, some pickles, salt and pepper. No, they don't want to buy and skip the ketchup. Nobody skips the ketchup. Listen, I told my sponsor I would not eat anything with sugar, and therefore I have surrendered ketchup. F 
breakfast is the most important thing in my life without exception. No, bread on the cheeseburger, hold the ketchup. Would there be anything else to that? Pies, onion rings. I'll have a baked potato. Oh, baked potato, thank you. Intuitive baked potato. This is very important. You need to listen to this. You do no, you no longer need tapes. Intuitive, see, the first week of intuitive potatoes, this is a large potato. Three weeks later, intuitive potato, this is a large potato. Thank you. And you know. Are you going to weigh the potato? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just put that baby right here. Yeah, just give me the scale. Wait a minute. I need to call my sponsor. Easy does it. Sponsor, sponsor. You know, my sponsor, I was dating a girl. I was asking him whether I should marry her. He said, God, he's not it's a pimp. It's time for you to order now. What? Order. Uh, rice. Brown rice. Potato. I don't want potato. Rice. I want brown rice. Microwave. I want four here. ounces of brown rice. Hello. Now, you potato. put it in a flat layer on a pan. Can you do that? Into, into no butter. Pan, pan, pan. Then eight raisins. Eight raisins. They're very small. Twelve. Butter. Fat. I can't have butter. You're going to have butter. He wants, he wants to have a twist of you, lemon with it. He does. A twist of lemon. Yes. Twist. I want a twist. <laughs> Twist. twist. He wants a twist of lemon. Another one who wants a twist. Everybody here wants a twist. 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 We want to give you money to, we're just, it's in the big book. We're self-centered. We want to make amends. A big tip. A big tip. Okay. So, we're going to go, Maggie. What do you think? Audience, Maggie, go dance. Yay! Yay! Come on. Audience, don't get everybody. Everybody dance now.
now we'd like to turn it back over to whoever we turn it back. Whoa, so that kind of my exercise for today. Whoever we are supposed to turn the program back over to now, please quickly before I sing. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm supposed to tell you. Written, play, written and produced by Jill Bloom. The OA Intergroup of Inland Empire. Who's here? Kathy and, Kathy and Jim, who did the scenery. My wonderful spotlight man. Wonderful. Wonderful spotlight man. Wonderful spotlight man. Thank you. I am available for hire. Okay. Thank you, you guys. You guys know me. I'm Cheryl. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I get to close this wonderful night of fun and recovery. I just have one more announcement for you. It was mentioned earlier that for $10 you could get into the cabaret. That is erroneous. Okay. You can get into the dance for $10. The play you can only see, or I mean the cabaret you can only see if you purchase the dinner. Okay? I just want to let you know that. Uh... And now Maria, our convention secretary, will lead us in the third step prayer. Where is it? Is it in here? I don't know if I know about her. Where's the prayer? Okay. God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me, and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy will of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Okay.